Were you paying attention as Scott read the communion focus? Upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. And Paul preached to them and carried on his speech until midnight. We believe in doing Bible things in a Bible way, but we won't do that today because I'd have to turn the lights out and I'd be by myself when I finished. We're glad that you're here. It just seems like sometimes I just, I get everything together and I forget where I put some of it. I have one announcement that I, a note that I failed to read earlier. Uh, it says, we would like to thank you to our extended family for all that you did in the loss of our sister, Evelina Morrison. Evelina's children were amazed at the meal that our church family prepared and the time that the ladies took and put into making the room a pleasant place for us to visit. The children were very thankful that the ladies took care of the cleanup so that they could just visit, go home, and remember their mother. And for that, again, I say thank you. And that note, of course, is from Sonia Golden. And we were glad that uh, we were able to do that and, and help in that way. Our story this morning begins in Luke chapter 18. Then our text is going to come from Luke chapter 19. Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem where before long He's going to be crucified. But His journey to Jerusalem is going to take Him through that cursed city of Jericho. Now Jericho was a very large and very prosperous city. And there are two men that are never going to forget the day that Jesus came to Jericho. One was a blind man. And the other one was a short man, a man who was height-challenged. One was a beggar. The other was a very rich man. The blind man's name was Bartimaeus. And the short, rich man's name was Zacchaeus. And yet Jesus Christ blessed both of them forever and ever. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was working for the Roman government. He was considered a traitor by the Jewish people. Because you see, Zacchaeus was more than just a tax collector. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. He stood at the very top of the collection pyramid. Zacchaeus took a portion off the top of all the taxes that were gathered in that region. And he was in charge of what was probably one of the most lucrative tax offices in that region. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 19 that he was a very rich man. And Zacchaeus got that way because he sold out to Rome. And so in the eyes of the religious people of that day, 
Zacchaeus was considered a renegade. In that day and time, to put this in perspective for us, in that day and time, Zacchaeus was about as highly thought of as a drug dealer would be in our day and time. In the minds of the people of that day, tax collectors were linked with murderers, adulterers, and robbers. The tax collectors were among the vilest of sinners. You see, the great robbers in the days of Jesus were not those that infested the highways like that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. The great robbers of Jesus' day weren't the hoodlums and thugs like we see in the story of the Good Samaritan where those men beat that guy and left him for dead and robbed him. The great robbers of Jesus' day were the tax collectors. They were known as the publicans. You see, the Roman government required a certain per capita tax to come from all of the people. And the chief publicans were contracted with for the business of collecting the taxes. The chief publicans such as Zacchaeus would contract with the Roman government and then Zacchaeus in turn subcontracted with other publicans to collect the taxes from the people. The chief publican had to pay to the Roman government the required per capita tax. But the chief publican then could keep as much for himself, more than that, as he was able to squeeze out of the people. So the Jewish people looked upon the business of the publican with a great deal of abhorrence. And it was especially repugnant to them when the chief publican also happened to be a Jew. Because he was then regarded as a traitor to his people. The business of this chief publican was thought of as odious and nefarious. No decent person in society would associate with a publican. His very name was synonymous with sinner and criminal. Now, I want you to use your sanctified imagination. I want you by an eye of faith to see Zacchaeus that bright spring morning when Jesus comes to town. Perhaps he's out sitting on the veranda of the imposing house that he owns there in Jericho. A beautiful home built with the money of extortion. And maybe he's sitting out there on the veranda of his imposing home and he's sipping his morning coffee and he's got a tablet in his hand estimating how great his wealth might be. And as he sits there, his thought process is disturbed because there's a commotion going on out in the street. The first thing he sees is some of the little boys of Jericho excitedly running down the street. And following them are some people, some walking very fast, some actually running. 
And all of them are talking excitedly and gesticulating wildly. And, well, curiosity got the best of him. Kind of like us when an ambulance goes by. And so since curiosity got the best of him, he called out to one of his servants. And he said, oh, what, what's going on? You have any idea what the excitement is all about? He's curious. He wants to know why all the people are running down the street. And the servant said, well, Jesus, I heard that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by today. Well, Zacchaeus was a hardened publican. But along with that, he still had a natural and a commendable curiosity. He sought to see Jesus, as Luke says, who he was. I like Moffat's translation. Moffat says Zacchaeus wanted to see what Jesus was like. Now, there's no way. There's no way for us to know the motive behind that curiosity. Maybe it was just a natural desire to see someone that was a notable person. Perhaps there was something more in that desire. Maybe Zacchaeus had a certain unrest in his soul. Maybe Zacchaeus wasn't altogether happy with his robberies and his extortions. Maybe the better side of Zacchaeus was wanting something higher and nobler. No doubt Zacchaeus had heard about another publican, a man by the name of Matthew. Maybe he even knew Matthew personally. He knew that Matthew had been taken into this band of disciples of Jesus. Evidently, Jesus thought that there was something good even in a publican after all. Whatever his thoughts were that morning, Zacchaeus laid aside his financial sheets or whatever else he might have been Reading, maybe he was reading the Jericho Street Journal, who knows. But whatever he was reading, he laid that aside. He gathered his fine linen robe about him and left his house. And he ran down the street with the rest of the people. And he gets to the place where Jesus was. And a crowd's already gathered there. Remember, he's a short man. Well, he can't see. He, he can't see over the crowd. He can't see what's going on. Now, remember, he's not the most loved man in Jericho. He's a publican. He's a hated man. So nobody's going to let him get in front of him so he can see. He probably got more than one elbow in the ribs as he was trying to move his way around. He got jostled around because it gave people a chance to push him around just a little bit probably. So Zacchaeus, he runs ahead of the crowd. And he runs down the street and he sees a sycamore tree and he climbs up into that sycamore tree. Now can you imagine the ridicule he got? People see this little short Jewish tax collector running down the street and then he's climbing a tree. They didn't like him anyway. 
Hey, what are you doing, Zacchaeus? You climbing a tree? Ah, we got Zacchaeus treed finally. Can you just imagine the insults, the ridicule that they'll be hurling at Zacchaeus that day? Maybe that's how Jesus learned his name, hearing the people ridicule him. We don't know. But when Jesus walks by there, he looks up in that sycamore tree and he sees him. He sees Zacchaeus and he calls to him. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going home with you today. And guess what? When the good people of Jericho saw that, Luke says they started murmuring. They couldn't believe it. It was scandalous. Jesus was going to the house of a sinner. Jesus was going home with this chief publican, this low-life Zacchaeus. Okay, let's be honest about this. And let's be real. The kind of people that Jesus Christ liked the best are not the kind of people that the average church throughout the length and breadth of this country appeals to. Our text comes from Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are we really sometimes that different from the religious people of Jericho that murmured that day when Jesus went home with Zacchaeus? Would the most reviled of sinners of Shelby County feel welcome and loved if they came into our assembly today? Would drug addicts, prostitutes, those that have lived with multiple partners, those who have addiction problems, those who have spent time Behind bars, would they feel welcomed and loved? Do people see in us the kindness and richness of God's love? Let's bring it down where we live. Do people see Jesus? in me and in you. Do people see Jesus in us? Hundreds, thousands of cars and trucks drive past this building every day. What do you suppose people think when they drive by this building? Do they think that we are a group or a bunch of hateful hypocrites? Or do they see loving, non-judgmental sinners who've been washed clean in the blood of Jesus? 
Would people like Zacchaeus, would they know that we love them? We classify people by the families they come from. We sometimes classify them by the clothes they wear or where they went to school. You know, A&M, Texas, OU. Where they live. So by the way we classify people, well, there's some folks that are our kind of people and some folks aren't our kind of people. You ever heard that expression? Quite honestly, I am certain Jesus does not approve of that. There were no barriers. There were no such distinctions with Jesus. You think about the people that Jesus especially invited to be His friends. There was... Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were fish merchants. There's Matthew and Zacchaeus. They were unpopular tax collectors. There was Mary Magdalene. She was a woman with a less than sterling reputation. And then there was Joanna. She was the wife of Herod's chancellor. She was a society woman. And we must not forget Saul of Tarsus, an aristocrat and a persecutor of the church. The good church people of Jesus' day couldn't understand it. They were scandalized by it. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 11, they said to the disciples, they said, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Why does your master eat with these publicans and sinners? And the answer to that is in the text this morning in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. That's why Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. You and I are in that text. Because you see, it's in that passage that we see Jesus Christ, the Deliverer. Jesus delivers us from sin. And Jesus assures us of God's forgiveness. Jesus did not. He was the Son of God. He had left His throne in heaven and He'd come to this earth. And He did not hold Himself aloof from the sinners of His day. He was actually seen in their company so often that His critics called Him gluttonous. They also called Him a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. Because you see, Jesus observed no lines of social distinction. Jesus had no class consciousness. Jesus loved sinners. And Jesus sympathized with the lowly. And He was on friendly terms with the social outcasts of His day. 
There was another occasion where Jesus was invited to dinner at the home of a Pharisee. Now remember, the Pharisees were his chief critics. The Pharisees were Jesus' chief opponents. And in spite of that, Jesus accepted the invitation. While they were eating, a woman came. A woman who was known to be a sinner. She came to see Jesus. Now that is not an unusual occurrence. Because you see, in the oriental fashion, meals in those days, it was not like going into the dining room like we would and close the doors. They were on porches or in open air type rooms and they were semi-public affairs. And you didn't sit at the table. They would recline in an oriental fashion and lay there semi-reclining and eating. And at the home of this Pharisee, as Jesus is in the oriental fashion reclining at dinner, this woman knelt at His feet. Scripture tells us she washed His feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair. And then she anointed His feet with expensive oil from an alabaster box she had brought. Well, this Pharisee was scandalized. He was amazed that Jesus would permit the attention of this sinful woman. And Jesus rebuked him. He said, Simon, this woman has shown me love. And she has shown me affection. And she has brought me devotion. And he told that Pharisee, he said, this woman whose sins are many are forgiven because she has loved much. You see, this Pharisee had seen this woman only for what she was, a sinner. But while Simon the Pharisee saw her for what she was, a sinner, Jesus saw her for who she was. And that was a person with a soul. The proud Pharisee could not appreciate nor could he understand this woman's act of devotion that day. But to Jesus, what she did were the actions of a penitent heart. And the penitent heart is always a prelude to the forgiveness of God. In the Gospel according to John, there's another tender and memorable story. It tells of a woman that was dragged early in the morning through the streets of the city. And they flung her down at the feet of Jesus. I can see her. Her dress is torn. Her face is grimy from the dirt of the streets. And there's little tear-stained rivers through that grime. These Pharisees throw her down at the feet of Jesus. They said, this woman, Master, we caught her in adultery, the very act, and the law says we should stone her. What do you say? Those long-bearded 
scowling Pharisees had the stones in their hands ready to kill this woman. Stone her to death. That was the law and the custom. And Jesus looked at them. He rode on the ground and Jesus said, Well, I tell you what, gentlemen. The one among you that's without sin needs to be the one to throw the first stone at her. And from the oldest to the youngest, John tells us, they dropped their stones to the pavement and they walked away. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. It was on Pentecost that Peter preached the gospel of Christ. And in that audience that day, no doubt, were those who had had a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus. And can you hear Peter as he preached that day? And he looks over that vast audience. We know there were more than 3,000 people there because 3,000 were obedient. He said, this same Jesus you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And that sound rang through the air and oh my goodness, it touched them and it touched them deeply. Luke says they were pricked in their hearts and they said to Peter and the others, what shall we do? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And Luke tells us that with many other words he testified and exhorted. And he told them to save yourselves from this untoward generation. And it says that those that gladly received his word were baptized and they were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so must we. That is our mission. That's why Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. If you've never been obedient, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life, you have an opportunity to do that today. To do it by... Believing on Christ with all your heart. Turning your back on sin through repentance. Confessing His name. And being buried then in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. It's the opportunity to do that. Maybe you've done that and you haven't lived as the Lord wanted you to live. Jesus hasn't been Lord and Master of all of your life. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord and Master of all of your life, Jesus is not Lord and Master at all in your life. If there are changes you need to make, now's the time to do it as we stand and while we sing.